Hey, before we start this episode, we have a couple quick announcements. We're trying to get on iTunes' new and notable page. We think the best way to do that is to get as many of you, our listeners, to rate and review the podcast as we possibly can. Our goal is 60 ratings and 25 reviews by the end of April. And to help us reach that goal, we thought we'd sweeten the pot by offering you free stuff. At the end of April, we will hold a raffle where we pull five reviewer IDs out of a bowl and send them some dope school just swag. For further raffle details and how to participate, visit us at our brand new website, schooledyapod.com slash swag. We're running out of space on SoundCloud, so we built a website to host our archive pods and to provide you with more ways to interact with us. That website, again, is schooljapod.com. And for the raffle details, go to schooljapod.com backslash swag. And now for the show. This time on Schooldia, Clint and Chad take a test, talk about principles, and explain what makes them happy in the last word. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, this is Clint. And I'm Chad, and welcome to episode four of School Gym. The podcast where two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses talk about their combined 30-plus years of education experiences. And anything else we can come up with, they are called Teachable Moments. The goal is to make a podcast that teachers... And anyone else, tell your friends... Find as fun and interesting as the teacher's lounge during lunch, but without the complaining. Hey man, we don't complain, we educate. <laughs> All right, for our first segment, we're going to take a pop quiz. A uh, pop quiz? But I didn't even study. What's it over? Tests. Specifically standardized tests. Ugh. Where they come from, why we have them, and how to take them. So a test about tests. Luckily, I know a thing or two about tests. But did you know that Virginia's standardized tests are hilariously called SOLs? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I wonder if that's yeah. because the—that's uh, what the teachers told the kids before they took it. Yeah, exactly. Whatever, whatever happens, you're SOL. That's classy. I like it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, go ahead and hit me with the test question. Okay, here we go. First question for you, Clint. Which organization is widely credited with being the first to implement multiple-choice testing on a large scale? Is it A, NASA, for their astronaut candidacy, B, U.S. military, for their officer candidacy, C, Ivy League schools for their doctoral candidacy, or D, the auto industry for their, their corporate leadership candidacy. Okay, I'm going to use some test-taking skills here. Okay. And I'm going to say that probably multiple-choice testing was, was used before NASA existed, so I'm going to cross off A, okay. and also probably before the auto industry was around. So I'm going to say it's going to be B or C, and the military really likes to make rules and things, but so does Ivy League. I'm going to go with C, Ivy League school's final answer. Ah. Yeah, when the U.S. military undertook its massive effort to assess recruits during World War One, they needed a system that they could do efficiently and in a standardized fashion. So between 1917 and 1918, they say about 1.7 million men were examined via a standardized multiple-choice test. Okay, well, poops. So this one is, is your question. What historical event coincided with the first major statewide testing program in the United States? Is it A, Abraham Lincoln delivers the Gettysburg Address, B, Black Tuesday, the 1929 stock market crash, C, Elvis debuts on the Ed Sullivan Show, or D, 
Sesame Street begins oh, on public television. There are some history people listening right now that are just like screaming out the answer here. Yeah, here's what I'm thinking. Okay, so Lincoln, when he was delivering the Gettysburg Address, I think that was probably long before public education was really that important at the time. 1929, I'm still thinking that there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis put on major statewide education. So I'm I'm going to go between Elvis debuts on the Ed Sullivan Show, which uh, again, I mean, is that is that 60s? 50s? I don't. Uh, and then Sesame Street, which I'm guessing is somewhere around the late 70s. Uh, I'm going to go with Elvis debuts on the Ed Sullivan Show. Oh! No, it is Black Tuesday, the 1929 <sighs> stock market crash. So there was this guy. His name was Everett Franklin Lindquist, and he wanted to create an academic competition for Iowa students. Okay. And he developed a set of tests in 1929. And they eventually became the Iowa Test of Basic Skills, which was an exam that elementary and middle school students took for a really long time across the country and I think is still used. Hmm. Uh, and he also helped develop the ACT in 1959. Okay. And he also was on the committee that developed the GED. Wow. Yeah, which came about during World War II as a way to give academic credit to servicemen. So we're doing really, oh, really poorly yeah, on, this, on this test. Or we're doing a really good job finding difficult questions. It depends on how you look at it. That's true. Last one for you. How was the pencil eraser discovered? So A, an engineer accidentally grabbed a piece of rubber instead of his usual piece of bread to erase a pencil marking. B, a high school basketball coach using his sneakers to get scuff marks off the floor. C, a Ford car salesman noticing the areas of the dealership floor where the new cars drove were cleaner than other areas. And D, an Oxford grad student found that a rubber band ball thrown against a wall was gradually cleaning the soot from that wall. I really don't think that it would be a an engineer trying to erase something with a piece of bread, but accidentally just randomly getting a piece of rubber, which means that's probably the answer because my gut says that that's right or wrong, but it probably is right. Okay, so here's the thing that I think I know, but I could be totally wrong. I think that the term rubber came from the fact that people used it to rub pencil marks. Okay. I don't think that he would have a rubber band ball because it would be named, the rubber is named mm. after the, the, the item. Mm. But, that, but that's, my, that's the one that seems the most right. Uh, I have no idea. Well, you got to pick one. I know. Uh, I'm going to go with D. Ah! It was, in fact, an engineer accidentally grabbing a piece what? of... What? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. So before the advent of, of, of erasers, uh, bread was commonly used. They'd kind of ball it up into a little ball, mostly crust of bread, and it was used to, to erase pencil marks. <laughs> a piece and, of bread? And this was in the 1700s. <laughs> a, guy, a guy by the name of Edward Nairn, uh, he had this piece of rubber on his desk. He was reaching for his piece of bread grabbed a piece of rubber, tried to erase something with it, and it worked. So you are 0 for 2. Yeah, and you're 0 for 1. So Let's see if I can bring this angle yeah, in here. Yeah, this is the last question, and if you get it right, you win the prize of, I don't know, pride. And if, yep. if you miss it, then we're both losers, and we have to go into the loser bracket tie-breaking right. question. Which of these test-taking slash studying myths is actually accurate. A, when making blind guesses, always guess the same letter no matter what. B, pulling an all-nighter is fine if you really concentrate. 
C. Listening to classical music while studying will help you retain the information better than doing it silently. And D. The first answer or impression you think of is usually right. I've actually heard all of these except for B. And that almost makes me nervous that maybe this is actually true. But pulling an all-nighter is fine if you really concentrate. It almost seems like the all-nighter part is what makes it hard to concentrate. So I'm going to take B out automatically here. Okay. I think the classical music part is more of a preference of musical styles. So I'm going to cancel out C. So that leaves me with when making a blind guess, always guess the same letter no matter what. Now I've heard this before. I am a math teacher. So statistically, I'm not really sure how this plays, but you know, unless you're guessing on every single one, uh, you still have a 25% chance no matter what. So I don't know if really guessing the same letter is going to matter. So I'm going to go with D. The first answer or impression you think of is usually right. I'm going to go with D. Well, you shouldn't have. Oh, no. <laughs> the, God. Okay, so first, so the answer is A. The answer is A. When making blind oh, guesses, man. always guess the same letter. And here's why. So you first, we have to define the difference between an educated guess and a blind guess. An educated guess is when you right. think you can figure it out and you can narrow it down, which right. is kind of what you were doing right. uh, just now. Right. A blind guess is when you know nothing. Apparently, statistically, the reason it works is because people, humans, are not good at being random and randomly choosing things. And so if you're okay. making, quote, random blind guesses in a spread, you'll almost certainly reduce your overall guesses odds hmm. because your best attempt at random guessing cannot replicate computer-generated randomness. Hmm. But if you stick to your designated letter when making blind guesses, you reintroduce an element of randomness, wow. which allows it to break down. It's a tie. We're in the dumb bracket of dummies. We have a contingency plan for this. My lovely wife, Emily, spent this morning coming up with a question that I have right here in my pocket. I'm actually going to pull it out of my pocket right now. I have not seen this, I promise you. It would have taken all the fun out if I had. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, here's the question. What is the difference in minutes given to take Oregon's SAT test versus Oregon's ACT test? The answer does not include the break time or any optional essays. Okay, on the count of three? Yeah. Three. Three. Two. Two. One. <laughs> two. <laughs> Twenty. Hours. I'm saying 20 minutes. Can you wanna, before, I, before I look at the answer, do you want to explain your thought? I don't have a reason. I just guessed a number okay. because I have no idea, like zero idea. So here's where I'm at. I never took the ACT. I really don't know much about how it's administered. I remember the SAT being like a two-part test. So I was thinking maybe we had two hours for the math and two hours for the language arts. I don't okay. know. It was a long time ago. And yeah. then I'm thinking maybe the ACT is like a one-shot test, so half that. So that's why I thought maybe two-hour difference. Okay, let's hear the answer. All right, here we go. Oh, man, I got crushed. The answer is five minutes. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Well done. By 15 minutes. Well done. It was that first impression myth that worked for me. Yes. Should have gone with that. Well, there wow. you go. That was a good question. That was a good question. Give Emily a high five from me. I will, for sure. Have you heard any weird trivia about standardized tests or studying? Email us at schooledyapodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear it. You can also post anything you think of on our Facebook page at schooledyapod. And now, let's take a quick break. This segment of Schooledya is brought to you by The Hall Monitor. 
You have warning systems in nearly every part of your life. A security system to protect your home, radar detector in your car to keep the fuzz off your back, heck, even your bank alerts you when your money has been compromised. But what about your school administrator? How do you know when they are just around the corner? Hey, we've all been there. You're mailing it in the last two hours because it's the Friday before a long weekend and your students are behaving like a scene from Lord of the Flies and in walks your administrator with a clipboard ready to do an observation and you start scrambling around like a crazy person trying to make the impression you still know how to teach. That's why there's the hall monitor, the first device of its kind to alert teachers when their principal is nearing their classroom. It's simple. Your hall monitor comes with a sensor disguised as a corny welcome sign installed outside your classroom. The sensor detects any walkie-talkie, bad necktie, pantsuit, clipboard, and a dozen other bad stereotypes associated with administrators approaching within 100 feet of your door. Next, it quietly sends a signal to a discreetly embedded receiver disguised as a I Heart Teaching button, immediately letting you know the boss is getting near, providing you with enough time to pull your hot mess of a class together and giving you high marks on your evaluations. So, come June, when your principal raves about your impeccable and consistent examples of bell-to-bell student engagement, we'll know who you can thank. The Hall Monitor. Because your apathy is our business. The Hall Monitor is not responsible for any disciplinary referrals, plans of assistance, or generally bad teaching. Welcome back. In our main segment, we're going to tackle the tough conversation that no one wants to discuss. And this time, we're actually being serious. That is, we're going to talk about the relationship between administration and teachers. And why it's such a hard relationship to get right. So we're going to discuss this topic from three angles. What teachers want from their administration. What the administration wants from teachers. And the best way to compromise those two positions to have the smoothest possible school relationship. So let's start off with what is it that teachers want from an administrator. The first thing that I thought of was support. They want support when it comes to discipline. And what I mean by that is, first of all, most of the time teachers should be dealing with their discipline within their own classroom. But sometimes Mm -hmm. you just can't. And when you send a kid out or when you have to have the administration get involved because the the problem is too serious, we want to know that the administration has our backs, that they're going to back up whatever it is that we – whatever decision we've made, at least to the kid in the moment. And then if something needs to be changed or there needs to be a discussion, that that discussion will happen a little bit later. But in that moment – we, right. we want that support. And in addition, we want support with parents because sometimes we have helicopter type parents who get very, uh, who might get upset with what is happening in the classroom with grading policies or other things. And I've, I've been on mm-hmm. both sides of the aisle where in some cases the administration's on my team and they're like, I trust this person professionally, so this is what we're going to do. And then I've had others where it's like, right. oh, well, maybe you didn't teach it right and you better fix it. And that second thing can can feel tough. The the next bullet that I think is an important one is, is trust. We're professionals. I think a lot of times just knowing that your administrator trusts that what you're doing in the classroom is, is good and you're doing the right things without them needing to check in on you frequently or, I guess, micromanage manage some of the things that you're doing means a lot to a teacher. I mean, one of the things that is awesome about teaching is getting the opportunity to be creative and to have a creative outlet in how you deliver material and and how you teach students. And having an administrator that trusts that you're doing what we want you to do and you're being successful at at your way of doing it uh, means a lot. Another one that I wanted to bring up was being appreciated. Sometimes it's just nice to have the administration come by and even just like a quick note that says, hey, I noticed you doing this project in your class and I thought it was going really well and I 
I really liked what I saw. And even though those things seem really small in the, the, the heat of the battle, it can it can really kind of get you geared up for what you're going to do. So sometimes just those little, right. little gestures make your job so much more fun. So the next thing is we want the opportunity to have fun. I think everyone who's gotten into teaching has, has done it because A, it's something that they're passionate about and that's something that they wanted to do. You know, if someone were to ask me, why do you want to be a teacher? I think probably the first thing I would say is it just seems like it'd be a ton of fun to get a work with kids all day. And we have an awesome job and letting us have a, a, a good time with what we do means a lot. We come from a high school perspective, but elementary school too, like silly hair day and all of those little activities right. that have no real educational purpose, right. but they raise morale and a way to enjoy each other outside of an academic setting that could yes. make relationships stronger and make people want to be there. I want to be in a place where I'm having fun and getting work done. It doesn't have to be an either or type situation. You know, and I think the administrator's role in that is a lot of times not necessarily to lead it or to organize it, but sometimes just making sure that they're providing the opportunity for it to happen. And, you know, I think about when we used to grow mustaches for the month of March <laughs> and it was stupid and we looked ridiculous uh, and it was a ton of fun. And I can't imagine an administrator ever telling us not to grow mustaches for the month of March, but just letting those things happen or even being a part of it as an administrator, joining in on the fun certainly goes a long way. I'm going to push back on you a little bit with the mustaches thing. Don't push on me with your mustache, please. Oh, I'm pushing my mustache. <laughs> Ew. Okay. <laughs> what I meant was we had conferences every year in the middle of March Mustache right. Madness. And I can imagine an administrator saying, you can't look so unprofessional because we grew some weird looking right. mustaches. The, the, it wasn't just This like is no normal... disrespect to anyone out there who has a mustache. Um, right. The mustaches we, we grew do... were not Pretty. No, they were not. They were not well-groomed. They were gross. And the, just the fact that we were allowed to be silly in the public eye, uh, I thought right. was kind of brave in some ways. I don't know what those parents thought when they saw all of the mustachioed men that deal with their children every day, but we were having fun. I, I'm, I'm guessing they thought, boy, there's a lot of really good-looking fellas that teach at this school. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. So the next one is honest communication. One of the things that can be very frustrating is when an administrator kind of promises mm -hmm. you the world, but then later on, either you don't get, again, that support that you wanted, or it turns out to be that thing that you wanted to do was completely unfeasible, and they were just kind right. of yes-manning you through it. Um, like if you wanted to do a field trip, and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do that, and whatever, and then you get do all the work and you tell the kids about it and you're getting everything together and they're like oh yeah we weren't going to be able to do that that that's not right. going to work we can't get a bus then that can be extremely frustrating and that's a pretty extreme example but i think that there's a lot mm -hmm. of times where sometimes administrators to please us will give us the answer we want and not necessarily follow through on it. I think we're all adults and we do understand that things change. When that field trip was promised to you two months ago and then bad news from the district office about a budget situation or, or that money was no longer there. I think a lot of times, as long as there's kind of a, a lot of transparency, I mean, even just sometimes just apologies go a really long way. It's like, I know I told you we could do that and, you know, come to find out it's not going to happen and I'm sorry and, you know, we'll see if we can do something else in the future. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with that transparency comment. Chad, since you've been in administration, why don't you uh, start us off with some of the things that an administrator wants from teachers and what are they looking for as they're yeah. hiring or as they are evaluating us as, as educators? The first two points we brought as, up as a teacher, which were support and trust, those are things that I think a lot of times for an administrator are very easy to give 
if you have a teacher who, number one, is doing things that you can support. So, you know, you brought up the idea of disciplining students or dealing with parents. And I think as an administrator, that is usually a very easy thing to do. What gets difficult as an administrator uh, is to provide that support when it really is the teacher who is at fault. Mm. Not that a teacher may not make a mistake on occasion and still should get that support of an administrator. But one of the difficult things is if you are not, you know, maintaining your professionalism in, in those ways, or if you are having a difficult time managing your classroom in terms of behavioral things, and this is happening on a very consistent basis, it is, it does become more and more difficult to support a teacher. So that, that is one of the things as we were talking about those things, what teachers want is, you know, that is kind of a reciprocal relationship. As an administrator, I definitely wanted to trust what you were doing in the classroom, but there's a reason sometimes why, you know, administrators maybe don't trust their teachers as much because sometimes the results aren't what they're looking for. I think the biggest thing for me mm -hmm. is I want to see a teacher that has the ability to create a positive relationship with kids. And that's not, that's not being friends. It's not being buddies, but it's just, right. you know, those teachers who have the ability to build these relationships just through their teaching and through their charisma and, and through their communication and everything else that build these bonds with these students that allows them to to teach them. It allows them to, to kind of break through that exterior sometimes of some of these more challenging students. And, and that is a very special thing. So that's kind of the first thing that I would, I would think about. And then, you know, the, the next piece of that is we've both had an administrator that often says, can you deliver the goods? And kind of what he means by that is like, are you highly skilled at the art of teaching? Because it's hard being a good teacher, being somebody who can deliver content in a creative way, inspire kids, uh, get students to think on their own, get students to collaborate with each other. All those things that make a good teacher, can you do it? And the weird right. thing about both of those things, the, the relationships with the kids and then also just that ability to teach is those aren't necessarily the things that I learned about in teacher school. Oh, no. And in some ways, those aren't necessarily always the things that we're even evaluated on. Right. To me, those are the two most kind of innate, natural things that really good teachers have, and you can't really bottle it necessarily. And I know you've sat in on job interviews too. You've you've been part of hiring committees, and like you can tell real quick who those people are, and mm -hmm. you can also tell probably even quicker the people that just don't have those things. Yeah, and one of the frustrating things too is that it is an art and a science. And right. uh, the art section of that is rather difficult to teach and quantify and evaluate like right. you're talking about. And the science is a lot easier. And that's why we have right. to keep track of data. And that's why we have right. to do all of those other things that for a teacher who is very good at the art and not as organized on the science, it can be very, very frustrating. The other thing is sometimes the biggest gauge, the best gauge to really know the teachers that are building those relationships is just through conversations with kids. Kids are pretty clear about if they are learning and if they're not. They may not be able to explain to you why, but you let a kid go through, you know, four years of high school and, and they'll probably walk out of there and be able to tell you the, the teachers that really could, you know, like I said, deliver the goods. And then for me, the last piece that I kind of thought of was, I think as an administrator, a lot of times you're, you're really looking for that person that can, A, kind of admit their own faults and say, yeah, that mm -hmm. didn't go well. But also really like evaluate themselves and, and ask themselves, man, what, what can I do better? So we've heard a little bit about what teachers want from administrators. We've heard some of what administrators expect out of teachers. And so now the big question is, how do we go about making this work? And as we were talking, I kind of thought through three main points that I think we've kind of covered. The first one being transparency. Administrators need to be very clear about what they want 
and teachers need to be just as clear back and say, okay, this is what I can do, this is what I can't do, and everybody being on the same page. A lot of times the frustration that we get is when stuff is kind of coming through the rumor mill. Why was this decision made for this particular student? And if we're transparent and as much as is legal, if you can go to the teacher as an administrator and say, okay, just so you're aware, student A is going through some tough things. I can't tell right. you what they are, but they're having a difficult time of it. So I am giving them this consequence for their action, even though according to the rules, it would be right. this other thing. Right. And same thing with a, with a teacher, just so you know, this is what I'm doing in my class right yep. now. I realize it seems weird. I realize it's a little off the wall. I wanna try something different. But this is my end goal. I've thought it through. Yeah. And if we're able to communicate in that transparent manner, that solves so many, so many problems. Absolutely. My second thought is humility. And that really is just the idea of, hey, we make mistakes. Yep. And being willing to own up to those mistakes that we make, uh, both on the teaching and the administration end, you could take a not highly performing teacher into as many classrooms as you want. And if they don't have the attitude of, I'd like to get better. Mm -hmm. They'll look at people and be like, well, that's what they do, but I do a different thing and it's my, my way's fine. Right. I think the same thing with the principal. They come in with a certain set of expectations and if you as a teacher say to them, what you're asking me to do is unreasonable, right. maybe have a little humility to say, okay, maybe I am asking too much. Yeah. Maybe this is not right. as high of a priority. Maybe making students feel welcome in the halls is more important than having the respect to not wear a hat indoors. I have a quick story about that. When I began the one year as a middle school principal, uh, when I stepped in in August, there was really no student handbook. I called upon some other administrators in middle schools and asked them to send me their handbooks, and I put a bunch of stuff together. And the first day of uh, when, when teachers came back, we went through the handbook, and I asked them to look through it, and they just tore it apart. And rightly so. It was a piece of junk. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that one of the middle schools that I had borrowed this from had was a no-hat policy. A couple of the teachers right away said, if you have that policy, we're going to have kids that won't want to come to school because they're self-conscious about their hair or whatever. Right. And And... Luckily, I really didn't dig my heels in on any of it. I took their advice and we changed it and things seemed to be better. But yeah, definitely being willing to be wrong from time to time is an okay thing. Right. And when you admit it, people actually respect you more than if you keep trying Absolutely. to, if you dig your heels in, as you say. My last thought is just connections. And we talked about making connections with students. I think that there also needs to be connections between teachers and there needs to be connections between teachers and administration. Doesn't mean you have to be best right. friends. Doesn't mean you have to hang out on the weekends, but it should be a place where you are not afraid to go and talk to people about what you're doing. Right. If you need advice, you can go and ask someone on either side. That administration doesn't think of themselves as better than teachers, just people with a different set of responsibilities, and we're right. all on the same team. You know, I, I've been fortunate in all my time in education. I've always worked with administrators that have been very uh, visible, mm -hmm. but I've heard stories of uh, teachers that have said, yeah, you know, my administrator, we never saw him or her. Yeah. You know, I think that is probably the beginning parts of kind of dividing that or, or drawing that line. Right. There is always going to be a boss-employee yes. relationship yes. Uh, to, to some degree. But I think the administrators that do the best job of trying to maintain that idea of, hey, we're all in this together, we're all a team, uh, I think that is definitely what we're aiming for. Yeah.
Absolutely. Well, that's all we could come up with, but we're sure all you teachers out there have your own thoughts on the matter, and we'd love to hear them. So go ahead and find us on Twitter or Facebook at SchoolJapod and tell us what you think. We'll talk right back at you, and maybe we can make this into a a good conversation. Uh, And with that, it's time for another word from our sponsors. This week's episode of Schooldia is brought to you by Pencilmate. Ninth graders are distinctly irresponsible creatures. They forget binders, homework, due dates, projects, paper, everything. But the number one item students forget on a daily basis is their pencil. A large percentage of a teacher's salary and life is spent procuring pencils for their pupils. Until now, we at PencilMate have teamed up with the good folks at the Roslam Institute, who cloned Molly the Sheep back in the mid-90s, and finally put that technology to good use, breeding pencils. By placing two pencils into our specially designed pencil cup, overnight your two pencils will multiply into 20 or more new number twos. Gone are the days of scouring the halls for old drop pencils. With the PencilMate breeding cup, you'll have more pencils than you can handle. PencilMate, let's get it on. It is recommended you wash pencils before use. We're back, and it's time to close this thing out the way we do every episode, with the The last word. word. Exactly. The time where we take a couple minutes to tell you about something in our lives that brings us joy. I feel very lucky. As I was looking for jobs, Roanoke had a really good arts department. They have good music programs, and they have good visual arts programs, and they also have a really thriving theater program. We've got stuff downtown that is like a children's theater, And my youngest daughter has been involved in that, and she's doing a play called The Mother Goose Tales, and that's going to be happening in May, so I'm really looking forward to that. She's already been in some, like, musical theater and done some, like, little dance performances, and she had to get a headshot for the show that she's doing. Like, we just found her school picture, I think. They're going to have, like, a little bio about her that she gets to write. That's really exciting for her. She's really into it, and it's been really fun to watch her grow and thrive with that. And then just back in March, my daughter Misha was in her middle school's performance of Peter Pan, and she played Michael Darling, the uh, youngest of the Darling children. Right. And she was right. she was great. She just knocked it out of the park. Lots of facial expression, tons of sass. I told her that she didn't seem like she was really acting that much. It was just the way she is. But uh, and then she <laughs> punched me. But it was it was just really great. It's been fun to watch my kids perform in these new things that are just opportunities that may they may not have taken advantage of back in Astoria. So I'm really glad to be out here, and I'm just really proud of my kids. That's They're awesome. really rocking that theater world. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations, yeah. Misha and Sarah. Yeah, it was pretty Sounds cool. Sounds like you guys are doing cool things. I am getting close to uh, celebrating the six-month birthday of my daughter, Luca. It reminded me that it was about a year ago that we began you know, telling people that uh, we were pregnant. And obviously, you kind of wait a little while. You want to make sure everything's healthy and everything's good so that you know before you kind of get the word out. But the funny thing with social media now, we kind of feel this need to make these big announcements right? You know, on Facebook or, or whatever it may be. And, you know, again, I think we almost have a responsibility now. You're quote unquote friends with all these people. So we had planned a little time lapse video. I think you probably saw yeah, it. Yeah, I saw it. It was cute. Basically, it started with me sitting on the couch and, and then Emily came and my wife and we talked for a second. And then my daughter Daphne came in and then my, my son Griffin came in and we just kind of took a few shots of us kind of just screwing around on the couch and then I think it ended with us writing on a chalkboard with a piece of chalk you know baby coming and 
in October or, or something along those lines. Right. So we thought it was cool and we were excited. And so we posted it the last day before uh, the last day of spring break before we all headed back to school. What we had not thought about at all was uh, the day before school had started back up was April 1st. Yes. And um, I remember yeah, it never I remember. crossed our mind that posting something kind of big news like that on April Fool's Day might have some unintended consequences. So it was fine, but we ended up spending a good week putting out all the the, <laughs> the um, conspiracy theorists that we had just made up this elaborate hoax as a uh, as an April Fool's joke and really trying to convince people like, no, we're serious. We really are pregnant. So it kind of put a little da- <laughs> little damper on the news, but it was still pretty cool. And again, hard to believe that was already a year ago. Well, that's adorable yeah. and hilarious. Yeah. So anyway, happy, happy six month uh, birthday, Luca. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Do you have a question? Have any fun test taking trivia to share? We have an email address for that. Contact us at schooldiapodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at schooldiapod. You can also find me on Instagram at chatterboxes. And you can follow me on Twitter at Astoria. The lovely intro and outro music you are rocking out to right now was performed by my talented wife, Nikki. And if you haven't figured it out yet, all our sponsors are fake, but our artwork is not. Thanks to Corey Logan for our fantastic cover design. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. It will help other people find us. Thanks for listening. See you soon. This time on School Dia. This time on School Dia. Clinton, Chad, take a test. No. Oh, man, you're so close. Say, Clinton, Chad, take a test. No. Ah! I can toot in him.